Wilson. Like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top. Subic's great grab. Across the ground. Bam! In comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. key. Kick smothered. Chick. Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Rioli. Spin. Grips. Goal. Superb from the Eagle. Kicks inside 50. McGovern. McGovern. What a play. Needs to be in perfect yells. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll sum up a disappointing semi-final, but we'll also talk all the latest news, including a wave of list changes, plus a full review of season 2019. What we liked, what we learned, and where to from here. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I am joined once again by Mr. KK. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Um, we've, we've reached the point that we always thought the season was going to end in a bit of disappointment, and we're there now. Yeah, so let's uh, sign off on a good way for the year. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, there was a few, well, as we'll get into, there were a few reasons for concern or a couple of little troubling signs on the horizon throughout the week in the build-up to the Geelong game. So we might as well just rip that Band-Aid off now. I promise you that we will blitz through this and move on to some more positive or optimistic or at least future-facing topics towards the back end of the pod. But for now, let's talk the Geelong game. West Coast Eagles, 10 goals, 8-68, defeated by Geelong, 13-10-88. KK... When you come into the season as your reigning Premier, anything less than back-to-back, it's probably going to feel like a disappointment. But for me personally, and I think for a lot of people on the Eagles board, this one really stung. The fact was that the Eagles game against Geelong, it was sort of a perfect summation of our 2019 form. We started with one terrible quarter, then we had two really good quarters in the middle and fought our way back. The game was there to be won. Uh, Now, unfortunately, we threw in another terrible quarter. So... That's a pretty good reflection of what we did all year. It was a very compartmentalised season and we never really got in the flow, never really got going. It was very much quarters at a time and that's what we saw again. It was unfortunately our undoing at the MCG. Yeah, you summed it up beautifully. It was the perfect um, encapsulation of our season in one game. The the poor start, the the fight back and the, the ability to show how quickly we can score when we get the game going on, on our terms to, to turn around uh, a five-goal deficit into a one-goal lead in the space of a quarter and a half against the minor premiers away from home is a fantastic effort. And just when you think we've we've got in front and we've got a team that's facing a straight sets exit and is um, we thought we might be able to apply some pressure and get them to wilt and it was us that wilted and threw in an absolute stinker of a last quarter and played the sort of footy that we've seen too much through the season and... Probably just the consistent theme in all our losses is that we've had periods where we've been pinned in our defence and just have not been able to move the ball at all. And all we're doing is treading water until an inevitable goal, hoping we win the centre clearance because if we don't, then we end up back at square one and repeat, rinse and repeat. And that was really how the the last quarter ended up and, and finished off our season. Yeah, The thing with that last quarter was we've seen the Eagles concede quarters like that all throughout the year. Uh, The ones we've been talking about all year, obviously the Adelaide away game springs to mind. There was a second or a third quarter against Hawthorne at the G that springs to mind. But in all of those games, we had some time to wrestle it back. And with this one, uh, we had that poor start and we wrestled it back. 
evidently the fourth quarter, we didn't have any time to respond. It's that thing where I feel the Eagles are capable of making adjustments when they can get into a quarter-time break or a half-time break. So obviously this is a redundant and incredibly stupid thing to say, but had there been a fifth period of play, perhaps the Eagles could have made the adjustment and come back because we saw their ability to bounce back throughout the year. Uh, The problem is... As far as I'm aware, AFL football has played over four quarters and when the game was there to be won, as you rightly pointed out, the Eagles did wilt. So uh, a massive shame. A few positives from the game for me just because that's my MO. I've got to put the positive spin on things. Love Nick Nat. I've seen some people say that he didn't have influence, but I would challenge that so, so thoroughly. Uh, at halftime, he, w- he had six clearances and anybody else the next best on the field was two. Uh, he's finished up with 29 hitouts, 14 disposals. I am really, like we'll get into towards the back end, but 2020, a lot of the reason for optimism uh, centres around a healthy Nick Nat and a healthy Nick Nat in the preseason. I thought Andrew Gaff was terrific, and uh, a couple of guys really tried their best. Liam Ryan in that second quarter drove the resurgence. Lewis Jetter as well picked up, which was really nice to see, especially given what had happened in the build-up to the game. So uh, we'll get onto that as well coming up just shortly. But KK, for you, like we said, let's not spend too much time on the Cats game. Obviously, it ended the season. In terms of somebody who stood up in finals or maybe some people who shrunk under the pressure of finals, is there anything long-term we can take away from that game or maybe point to in the future from this Cats game? I liked Petricelli's game. Um, wasn't a standout, but given the circumstances that he came in and it was his, his first final, I thought he did a solid enough job and, and and did his role. So I thought that was a positive. And Hearn played, I thought, his best game for a while. Mm. And the other guys you've mentioned as well, that, that's about it for me. Right, well, let's consign that one to history. Let us never talk about it again. As far as I'm aware, the last game of 2019 was an elimination final win against Essendon, and I don't recall what happened after that. Let's move along. Okay, we have to talk about it. It is the news that came out right before the Geelong game last week. It came out publicly, at least, pretty much 24 hours before bounce down. Uh, and that is, of course, the news that Willy Rioli has been provisionally suspended uh, for tampering with an Asada test. Now, this is the sort of story where there seems to be just so much has been said about it. Absolutely stacks has been said about it. And yet nobody really seems to know the full story. People are just talking for talking's sake. So it's a strange one for me, KK, because basically the more information we find out about it, the more confusing and hard to believe and just baffling this whole story uh, becomes so for me all I'll say on it is this it's it's deeply unfortunate that uh, a snap decision is looking to cost Rioli quite a bit of time of his career and I think it will because I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room on these things so unfortunately for the young man there may be uh, a little bit of time on the sideline in his future but the most important thing to remember out of this is that he's a person he's not just an asset for our football team he's not just a player that we own and can cheer for and because you happen to go for the Eagles you get a say in this ultimately this is a a young man who has made a decision that is going to shape a significant chunk uh, of his life for the next few years and I think that we probably need to remember that more than being upset that maybe us as Eagles fans have lost out on a few goals here or there or or, or whatever so basically I mean just quickly from you what's your thought on the situation and how do you think it played into the Geelong game? How do you think it's going to play into the boys' mentality going forward? And basically, what can we do from here as Eagles fans other than just sit and wait? Yeah, I think the wheels of justice sound like they're going to turn pretty slowly in this. And I'm with you. I mean, my, my first thoughts is about Rioli as a person and what this sort of means for him. He's um, 
So he's in a situation, he's got a, a partner and a young family. I think they might even have a, another one on the way. And he's obviously the main breadwinner and that career could be taken away from him. So I think, um, and I know the club's doing that, putting all the support in place around him at the moment until this thing can play out. And I don't really sort of want to speculate about what might or might not happen because we're just working with such limited information. And I guess one thing I could say is that the AFL might actually be a good friend of us in this whole process. They have shown a, um, in their dealings with Asada a certain desire to help the players out as much as possible. And if it is, as we only said, just a little mistake rather than something more sinister, then hopefully they can do something to, to reduce the punishment. And the AFL cares more than anything about their image. And we all these practically royalty in, in AFL circles. And um, I don't think they want the look of a, a star young Indigenous player to be lost to the game if, if there's a chance that it was just a stupid mistake and nothing more sinister. And, yeah, we just uh, sit and cross our fingers and wait for news, which I think is going to be very slowly forthcoming. Absolutely. And, look, if you want to keep up with the Rioli story, uh, jump on Big Footy. There is the Willie Rioli thread on the Eagles board. Uh, it's a pretty active thread and it has been since the story broke, as you can imagine. So I'm sure anything that breaks will be there pretty much instantaneously. So so jump on Big Footy for that one. Some other news this week, and seeing as that our season is now over, it is the unfortunate time in the year where some list management decisions need to be made and a few familiar faces and a few fan favourites, a few whipping boys. You know, there's a couple of people coming into the club, but more specifically, as it pertains to this week, leaving the club. So, KK, let's go through a couple of the changes that have been made over the last few days. And the headline act of this is, of course, Chris Marston. He has been informed by the club that he's free to go and pursue other opportunities, effectively ending his career at the West Coast Eagles. And now, obviously, he came to the club as pick three, which we acquired as part of the Chris Judd trade. And with the pick three, it sets really high expectations. So I felt that maybe for myself as an Eagles fan, that's the weight of expectation has probably been the thing that Masto's been weighed up against. But a bit of a supporter of his, I think you could you could say. And, you know, I, I feel that maybe he gets an unfair rap at times. Basically, you look at the achievements, 215 games, he's won a flag, he's been one of the most readily available, like rarely injured, he's always ready to go for the Eagles, trains the house down, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's rare that you've got a guy who, it's his boyhood club, he worked in the team store before he came to the Eagles, and then he won a flag, he's got his, his, his young family and he's got his kids out there on, uh, on grand final day at the MCG for the club that he loved and worked for and really just wanted to be involved with growing up. So Chris Marston, it's uh, a sad one to see him go in a way. Maybe time, but uh, you know, thanks for the memories, Masto. I think a really good servant of the club. KK, what's your take on the Chris Marston decision? Yeah, I'm a bit sadder than I thought I might be at, at various agree. times of his career. I'd, I'd, I'd whipped him from time to time. That Looking back at his career as a whole, I think – as you say, the beef was probably the price we paid for him, and that's not—that's nothing to do with, with him. He can't choose where he gets picked, and I think it was as much a coaching thing because I, um, my attitude towards him really changed when Simpson came to the club, and he he did get dropped and went out of the team and didn't complain about it, didn't um, lose any of his enthusiasm for the club and his teammates. He just went back worked on the things that he was told to work on and actually came back into the team as a better player and they had a defined role for him. And and in the last couple of years, he was the best player on our list, 
to play that particular role they wanted for him and he deserved to be a part of the flag in 2018. So I'm happy for him for that. And, yeah, I think it's just the way that he, he was a great a great clubman and a great teammate and that's um, that's the sort of thing you need to build footy clubs around. I feel a bit uh, guilty in some of the things I might have said about him. I'm far from from the worst in that. I doubt anything that you've said would scratch the surface of things said about Chris Marston. No, I mean, look, while we're talking about the draft price, you look at where he was picked, pick three, obviously, uh, but you look at the guys after him, number four, Cale Morton, number five, Jared Grant, number six, David Myers, seven, Reese Palmer, Uh, eight is Lockie Henderson, who is, of course, still going, but in and out of sides throughout his career. And look, yeah, okay, you look and you go, all right, 10 was Patrick Dangerfield. But nine clubs passed on Dangerfield, you know, for him to fall to 10. Uh, Cyril Rioli at 12, Alex Rance, Harry Taylor, Callan Ward. There's a couple of guys that are in the top 20 of that draft that are very good assets to a team. But you look at, all right, let's say we take Kyle Morton instead of Chris Marston. Would the fans be any happier? Would we have the flag? You know, would, would somebody like Kyle Morton be contributing to a 2018 flag? I don't know about that. So... I think it's uh, now that we've gone our separate ways with Chris Marston, perhaps there'll be a little bit more fondness as we look back uh, on his tenure with the club. I was just going to say, I hadn't really um, done the history of number three draft picks over the last 20 years. I thought I might do that. But I reckon 200-plus games in a flag, you'd probably be batting better than average, even if he hasn't become the, the best player in our team or the best player in the league. There'd be plenty of guys that wouldn't get anywhere near that number of games and were, re- were true busts. So I think, yeah, I think you take you take the career that you, that you get for that sort of draft pick. And just because I always want to go into bat for Chris Marston because I think he cops an unfair rap, I'll go back to the line that I always trot out on the board. He's been selected 215 times by two separate premiership coaches running two very different game styles. It's not like he's just got one thing that he can do. Very clearly, two separate coaching staffs and two separate philosophies have deemed it necessary that Chris Marston is the best option to play. So, uh, you know, I think it's too hard to be critical when you've got a couple of guys like Wusha and like Simo consistently going into bat for him. But, KK, we've got our first question of the week. It comes from 06 Premiers, and he asks, who replaces Chris Marston in 2020? Is it as simple as just saying Tim Kelly? Is there an option we've heard about maybe Jared Brander uh, moving out onto the wing? It's something we saw in the waffle this year, and Simo gave him a bit of a pump up this week as well for his running capacity, his ability to play outside. So in your mind, is there somebody on the list? Is it a matter of getting somebody like Tim Kelly in? Who do we get to replace Chris Marston in 2020? I think it's probably not a, a direct replacement. I think we've we've got a few options to play in a wing role, but probably not in the, the exact role that that the Maston played just because you don't find guys with his running capacity. Um, they don't grow on trees. Uh, I could see Brander having a choice. I wouldn't mind seeing Petricelli play off a wing and um, that might sort of, say, free up Jerry Cameron to, to come into that, that forward pocket role. I could see even Cole, one of Cole, Nelson or Duggan pushed up onto a wing as well. So I think we've we've pretty much got... Plenty of options. It's not going to be a like-for-like like replacement. If we do get Kelly, which I hope we do, I, I expect him to be much more in, in the guts midfielder than, than playing a role that, that Maston did. I think he'd be, say, especially for the price we're going to pay for him, he's going to need to be at the coalface. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you've said it best there, but basically we'll have to reassess how we use those wingers. I don't think we'll have a like-for-like like with Chris Maston. Uh, it might be that sort of thing we've seen the Eagles use 
the offensive and defensive winger over the last couple of seasons and maybe that's something where they basically just have a bit of a, a, a philosophy shift and, and make a few changes in the off-season. So certainly one to watch. Uh, all the best for Chris Marston. If he winds up on another list, that'd be fantastic. If he retires a one-club player, he's obviously already a life member of the Eagles, so that would be great news as well. Congratulations to Chris Marston on an excellent career at the West Coast Eagles. Moving on to a couple of other list management uh, decisions and a couple of bits of breaking news that have come out only in the last few hours, really. First one, Fraser McInnes has been delisted. Now, KK, a really interesting player, interesting story and tenure with the Eagles. He's been at the club for eight seasons. He's played a grand total of 14 games. But, of course, he captained the inaugural waffle side this year and was pretty much a jack-of-all-trades. He only, as I said, appeared 14 times at AFL level, but he did so as a ruckman, as a, as a tall forward, as a third tall forward, as a tall backman. He was a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, and, I mean, he probably got the best out of what he was capable of, but a very interesting journey at the Eagles. So what do we make of finally or, or ultimately delisting Fraser McInnes? Yeah, he's probably uh, accepted that his, his number was up. He seemed to have just been around forever and there was always someone ahead of him in the pecking order to, to get the chop. And I think the number of roles he played probably speaks to why he was never a regular AFL player, that he wasn't quite a first-choice ruckman. He wasn't quite mobile enough as, as a forward or as a defender. And he really was that it's a jack-of-all-trades tall break glass in case of emergencies. And then we kept him around for those reasons I, I not to bash the guy, I'm, I'm surprised he stayed on the list for as long as he did. When you think of the likes of, oh yeah, Giles come and go, Petrie come and go, Brooksby came last year, and yeah, and he still survived it. <laughs> still survived that. But good luck to the bloke. And a, another one like Marston that was a great clubman and a great teammate, and those qualities can can take you a long way in, in football. If um if it's down to one or you or someone else to to get the cut and you have that sort of positive impact on the playing group as a whole, then that's going to save you sometimes. And I'll be interested to see if he does stay um, as one of our top-up players or I'm not exactly sure what the contractual arrangements are with our waffle players, but I I could see him him doing that because he's certainly still capable of of being a solid waffle player. Yeah, I'm unsure as to that, but I will say that given Drew Petrie was able to walk straight back into the club. Now, I'll acknowledge he was out of football for a little while, but given that Petrie was able to come straight back, I'd be interested to know why McInnes couldn't. And at Waffle level, I think he's, he's a pretty decent asset. And obviously, like you said, a great teammate, a very good leader of the Waffle side. So I'd be more than happy to have him back uh, representing the Beagles next year. A couple of other guys who really plied their trade at the Beagles this year and probably found their ceiling. Uh, were Brody Reak and Patrick Bynes, both delisted today off the Category B rookie list. Uh, a pair of ex-basketballers, Reak I thought was pretty solid throughout the year. He never really stood out or, you know, like I said, he probably found his ceiling. He was always just going to be a pretty solid waffle player. Uh, Bynes is an interesting one because he was out for the majority of the year following hernia surgery very early on. So didn't really get a great run at it, but KK... They've obviously seen enough out of these two guys to decide that, uh, yeah, maybe their time has come as potential AFL footballers. So we've made a couple of changes, and, and we're, you know, what do you think of the decision to cut bait on these guys just one year into their potential AFL career? Yeah, I confess I wouldn't know either, either of them if I fell over them. Um, <laughs> it, it is it is a bit interesting that they they were cut, and whether it's what the club has made the call that they're they're not what they're looking for, or if they have particular eyes on some other players that mm. they want to bring into the, the rookie list this year, you, you, you don't know. 
Um, that would have to be it, wouldn't it? You, I mean, maybe that's optimistic or wishful thinking for me to think that they've identified somebody else to take the spot. But to cut two guys, it doesn't count towards any of our list turnover. You know, you've got to have your minimum of three list changes per season. It doesn't count towards that. So to do it and to cut two guys at once who've both had a very different 2019, it seems like freeing space more than making a call on these guys, I would have thought. Yeah, and it remains to be seen what we uh, do with our rookie spots come draft time. Anyway, there we go. So that is the uh, list management and the list changes that we've seen thus far. Now, we obviously will see a few more in the coming weeks and hopefully that news comes out sooner rather than later so we can all prep and get ready for the trade, free agency and draft period. Now, just on that, a bit of a cheap plug. Uh, There have been a couple of discussions between myself and a few of the guys who are very, very active on the trade and draft boards. And they're very knowledgeable about a lot of the young guys, the under-18s coming through. So we will be looking to do a special uh, draft podcast for sure and probably there'll be room in there as well for a bit of a free agency and trade discussion so today's episode will most likely not be the last one of the season and as we get a little closer towards that window and the list management changes become a bit more urgent uh, we will be sure to unpack all of those on the pod Okay, this brings us to the main story of the week. The season is unfortunately over, and with that, we can now review and reflect and look back on season 2019. So, I mean, there was still a little bit to like KK in there. Obviously, an unfortunate ending. And like I said up top, when you come in as premiers, anything less than back-to-back's probably going to be a bit of a disappointment. But let's start things positively, and uh, I'll throw to you first here. What's been some of the positives, or one of the positives for you for season 2019? I'll chuck two in just because I lump lump them together as second-year players. But Oscar Allen and Liam Ryan have been probably the most positives for me. I think with Allen, it's very much underrated outside the club, um, the role he's had to play this year for a a second-year, 20-year-old to um, go as backup ruck and play as a key position forward as well and going up against much older and more seasoned bodies that that's really hard and he's done it done it with a plum and yeah it's got I think his ceiling is absolutely huge for us and I look forward to him developing over the next few years uh Ryan we talked about a lot this year just that his improvement over from pre pre-draft to his first season to second season he's just had a, a huge trajectory and even in the Geelong game, he started off quiet, but he was he was that real catalyst for us getting back into that game. And he's a, he's a big part of um, the, the forward the forward uh, scoring ability that we have and our ability to score points in a hurry. So I think they they've both had really good seasons, and with their age, they're hopefully having many more seasons to come like that. Absolutely, no arguments from me on either of those. Those were two of the guys I had jotted down. Uh, Oscar Allen in particular, I think, like you said, a really difficult role for a, a young guy to play, an undersized guy to play, 192 centimetres he's listed at, and for him to be going at it in the ruck week in and week out, and maybe he wasn't winning the hit-out battle too often, but it was his follow-up work, just his relentlessness around the ball, and I think I've said it a few times, and you've said it as well throughout the year, just he's very reckless with his body, and maybe it's the sort of thing he needs to manage a bit better, but God, you love to see it from a kid. He is just not afraid of anybody, absolutely fearless out there, and I think he'll develop into a gem. Liam Ryan, like you said, worked his tail off, and really just hard to not be impressed with the change in, I suppose, work ethic or perceived work ethic from draft day for Liam Ryan and, and all of the, the training camp, the combine, to now. Um, just just a, a major achievement and a big success story for personally, for himself, 
and for the coaching staff and the club. Uh, another positive from me, and it's a, it's a tough one because I feel like he trailed off towards the end of the season, but give me Dom Sheed's 2019 as a big positive because it was a career year for him in a number of ways. Obviously, 2018, difficult for him and then capped off with you know one of the greatest individual moments a player could have, kicking the game-winning goal in a grand final. He really took that and he ran with it at the start of 2019. Uh, he absolutely dominated. He was killing the disposal count. He's got career highs this year in disposals, in marks, in goals. He's eighth overall in the league for inside 50s. Obviously a career high for him in that category uh, and clearances as well. So he's really just worked his tail off and really lifted his output and his numbers. Perhaps we were talking about earlier a candidate to shift a little bit more outside if Tim Kelly comes in, but really did good work at the coalface this year. So big positive for me there, Dom Sheed. Uh, KK, back to you. Any other positives from 2019? I think at the other end of the ground, um, having Nelson have a bit more of a solid run in the team and getting some games into to Rotham and, and Watson was a bonus. Both of them looked like they have a future at AFL level. Yeah, and unfortunately, our positives were at either end of the ground um, in terms of the development of younger players. So that'll probably segue into my negatives for the season. Absolutely. And, and look, we will get onto the negatives in just a second. Uh, one last quick positive from me, and this is as we're looking to the future. You touched on it there, either end of the ground. I really like Jared Cameron. I wasn't expecting a lot from him in his first season. When he came in, it was pretty much because we had nobody else to play and he stayed in the side. He had a really good, solid run of of six games in a row and perhaps was a candidate to come in late for the finals, but... For a kid, nineteen-year-old, and uh, you know somebody who's got an absolutely bright future, he actually made an impact right away. So fantastic debut stretch from him, and and really look to see more from him in twenty twenty. Look, KK, we will get into the negatives. We have another question this week from O Six Prems, and I'll I'll uh, throw to you on this one to start. O uh, Six Premiers asks, why can we never seem to back up a flag? So obviously, in all of the years when we've won the flag, uh, we've seemed to go out in the in that second week of finals. We never make it particularly deep in September in the following year. So, is it a coincidence? Is it just because it's very difficult to win outside Victoria? Is it because it's difficult to win full stop? Why is it that the Eagles have never been able to repeat as premiers? I think the latter. It's just difficult to win full stop, and we're no orphans in that in that category. Geelong, 20, 2007, 2009, 2011, they couldn't go back-to-back. And Essendon in late late 90s, 2000, they were the best team for, for three years and only won one premiership. Kangaroos in the 90s couldn't go back-to-back. It's, it's just really, really damn hard to do. And I think it's probably even harder these days that the equalisation measures have, have really ramped up from what they have been in the past, particularly the fixture equalisation, that you're always at risk of a team like like Brisbane this year getting into a, a, a top four spot based off potentially an easy fixture. And when you are a non-Melbourne team, that, that, that hurts you finishing outside that top two. And it's, I think it's just hard to do. It's particularly hard to do for us because we, we need to finish top four, if not top two, to have a realistic chance at the flag. So we're not able to do a Hawthorne sort of sneak into fourth, get a couple of home finals and then play three grand finals in or four grand finals in a row against interstate teams mm. on your home deck. So we're never going to have that. Also, I think back to the the specific years we haven't gone back to back. I can't remember much about 93. I remember 95, that Carlton team was just ridiculously good that year and 
pretty much didn't lose a game all year. Uh, 2007 was just an absolute dumpster fire with Judd and Cousins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's going to win a f- go back-to-back in that sort of scenario. And this year we were just a bit bit off the pace the whole season. Not a huge amount, but just enough to to put us in a really bad situation going into the finals. And, yeah, it was always going to be pushing shit uphill to, to win a flag from fifth. That's it. The other thing you touched on up top, it's bloody hard to repeat as premiers. I mean, since the AFL became the AFL, that is since 1990, you've seen Adelaide did it, Brisbane did it, and then Hawks did it, which you've just touched on, was slightly different to those situations. Uh, the Adelaide side, very, very good, and obviously overcame a fair bit with the way that their finals uh, structure shook out. Brisbane, one of the all-time great teams, indeed one of the all-time great midfields, and then the Hawks, like you've touched on, phenomenal team, great system, but also they played four interstate clubs in a row in grand finals. So you've got to be in it to win it, but they had a couple of perhaps different advantages that the Eagles, unfortunately, will not ever get. I'll just say this, as I said, I think I've touched on this a few weeks ago. I'm not 100% sure where the stat is now that we've lost this Geelong game, but uh, the Eagles under Simpson are are the best, or at worst now they'll be the second best in terms of win percentage. They've won the most finals. They've won a flag. You've just got to be consistently good to have a chance at a flag. It's very difficult to do a Bulldogs and strike while the iron's hot and just make a random bolt to the flag. So as long as we're consistently good, as long as we're around that title picture, you're, you're... every chance to, you know, have a good year and, and have the things fall right and, and, you know, really make a run at the premiership. So, yes, it's disheartening, but I think it's not reasonable to expect back-to-backs as optimistic as we would be. Even if you think we've got the cattle and the capability, it's just not reasonable to expect to go back-to-back. So, uh, yeah, put it just down more to how hard it is to consistently win at the elite level. Yeah, the, the risk is, in being around the mark, is you've got to make sure you're really around the mark i.e. top four, if you're just sort of bumming around, finishing in the lower half of the eight, you can end up a bit like an Adelaide situation mm-hmm. where they've, they haven't been terrible for about 10 years, but they've had one grand final in that time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of years where they've been a decent side, but as again, as a non-Melbourne team, if, if you're slotting into the lower half of the eight each season, then it looks like you're a chance, but you're really not. Oh, absolutely. And I think you and I both agree, and indeed I think most Eagles fans would agree, to really have a shot, you've got to be in the top four. And you've, I mean, a home prelim is pretty much the best chance that an interstate side is ever going to get. So you've got to be on track for that. Otherwise, it's just you really need to have everything fall right. Okay, moving away from that one and, and just returning to 2019 in general and having a bit of a broader view at it. We've talked positives. Unfortunately, it is time to talk the negatives. KK, uh, the floor is yours. I'll, I'll hand the mic over to you. What was our main negative from 2019? I think the biggest negative, we talked about all the the positives and and young players developing, but there was nothing in the midfield. That, that's that's the biggest concern that's going to have an impact going forward. I really worry if we don't pick up Kelly in this in this trade period that Archie played one or two games and he's been around a while. He's probably as good as he's he's going to be. Ainsworth played games in 2018, didn't get a game. Matt Allen was our best waffle player all year, didn't get a game. Brayshaw's shown quite a bit of waffle level, but so he was he was taken quite late in the draft, so he probably doesn't have huge expectations on him. And uh, the rest of the guys are first years that we don't really know too much about. So that is that that's the concern that we, we didn't develop any any midfielders that weren't already in the team during the season, and that's going to I think bite us in the ass if we're not careful. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we'll come to a little later on in the pod when we look to 2020, but you, you bang on that there was not really a lot of midfield development. Obviously, Sheed took a step, but he's not super, super young. Uh, if you're expecting Venables to make the jump from part-time half forward into a true midfielder, well, 2019 went about as poorly as you know it, it really could have from that perspective. He played poorly early, he was pretty quiet, and then he got injured, uh, and we shut him down. So, yeah, not a lot of development throughout the middle, uh, as we're looking at the player personnel. Another one, another negative from me, uh, it's, it's moving back to the either end of the ground approach, but we had a big regression from Tom Barras, especially post-injury. And for a bloke, I think, he's, I think he's only 23, so he's a young guy, he's got the ability to turn it around. But for a guy that at the start of the year I was hoping was going to be just your perfect set and forget fullback for the next, hopefully, decade... Um, I still think, obviously, he's, he's a walk-up start in your best 22, but it got to the point where we needed to play Will Schofield to really shore up that back line because Barras slowed down. Hell, even McGovern slowed down for an All-Australian. So uh, a, couple of, a couple of concerning signs out of the back line, KK. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, Barras's end of the season was, was pretty poor and I'm hoping it's something he, he can fix and it's not a, an attitude thing. It, it did seem to go downhill after the Harry high pants. Incident, and I really hope it's it's not him just getting too big for his boots. But we've got enough uh, experience and, and leaders around the team to to sort that out. And I mean, you called him for a big season. I think I had him in all Australian as, as my uh, <laughs> bold prediction for the start of the year. So yeah, heaven help um, anyone who I <laughs> say is going to be the positive for next year. Oh God, yeah, I should I should have given a listen back. I um, Jack Darling served me well, although he's definitely not going to win the club championship this year. But he did make all Australian, so I'm happy on that. But I'd love to listen to those those predictions now because I can't imagine that the hit rate uh, across the board was particularly high. All right, um, look, another negative from me, KK. Speaking of slowing down, Josh Kennedy really slowed down towards the end of the year. And it was a talking point, especially in the latter half of the season. Uh, he showed that he still had some great footy in him. The two games against Essendon stand out. Always a focal point. And I just touched on Jack Darling. Then he obviously draws a man away from Darling. And it's the sort of situation where your opposition backline has to come prepared. But we can't shy away from the fact that he's getting a little bit older. He's, he, he's looking to slow down. He's got now one year left on his deal. I would suggest this is the last season of Josh Kennedy's AFL career. So, KK, how do we go about phasing him out? And, and is this this slowdown at the back end of 2019, is that is that real? Is that who Josh Kennedy is now? Oh, I think it is. As, as a sort of trend line, I wouldn't say that his worst games this year is, are the new baseline. But just the his good games are going to be few and far between. And I guess one of his great skills, he's always been super mobile for a guy of his size. And his chasing and defensive pressure has been... Fantastic in his ability to get separation from his opponents, and that that seems to be what's um, what what's cost him later in the season. And it's it's a bit sad, but time catches up with everyone. And I think how we manage it going forward is uh, we need to identify who's who's going to be that replacement. Is it is it getting games into Bailey Williams up forward? Is it is Oscar Allen going to be a full time forward now that Nat Nui's back? And I, I expect yeah, Kennedy won't play. 22 games this season. I think it will be his last season and there'll be a, a few general soreness or or managed omissions throughout the year so we can actually get some games into some other guys up there without uh, him sort of getting in the way and then leaving a really big gap when he does go. 
12 games at Optus, thanks. And then uh, let's expose a couple of the key tools that we look to have coming through. KK, any other negatives that we need to take out of 2019, unfortunately? No, I mean, the, the fade-outs in game was, a, was something that happened all through the year. It's hard to sort of pinpoint that as one specific negative. I think I'd rather look at the, the players individually and leave the rest of the stuff up to the coaches. So broadly, talking about those fade-outs, because obviously that did shape the season, our inability to consistently play high-level football. Is that something that you, now that we've seen the whole season play out, is it something we can put down to hunger or is it just, uh, I mean, the ability is there because our best is really good. I firmly believe that. So is, is it a hunger issue? Is it a, you know, some sort of like a mentality or a consistency issue that can't be ironed out? Do you think that's something that they can fix in 2020? You know, what do we, what do we look for in that? To, to regain the consistency next year? I'm just really confused because it didn't always look to be the same thing from game to game. There were games like the Collingwood game at home where it looked where well, the players just looked like they ran out of legs. There were other games like the Sydney loss and mm. the first game at Geelong where it looked like a straight-out lack of effort compared to the opponent. So that comes back to mentality. There were other times where we seemed to only have one plan to move the ball out of defence and that was relying on someone to take a contested mark down the wing. And this is when Vardy was still in the team. who couldn't even take an uncontested mark at that point and <laughs> that killed us. So is that a is that a tactic thing? Is that is are we not giving players options to find other ways to move the ball? Are they just playing too conservatively and not taking them? It's 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 just not one thing. And that's how that's how coaches earn their money and that's what they can work on over the preseason. All right, so let's close the book on 2019. A disappointing year overall, but KK, one last word on it. If I could just get you to sum up the season in one sentence, how would you go about that? Uh, one sentence, I would say it panned out as I expected deep down, and it's just a shame that it takes so long to, to reach that disappointment and you get so much teasing in the process. Yep, very true, very true. Uh, for myself, I touched on it a second ago, I, I think our best was the best. Uh, we just couldn't find that top gear consistently enough. So definitely something to work on in 2020. All right, let's look forward now to 2020. And we've been negative for too long. Let's get back on the optimism train. KK, what is your biggest reason for optimism as we head into this off-season period and as we head into next season? Age-wise, Kennedy aside, we're not losing anyone. I think um, Hearn or Schofield might be the only two guys that have sort of maybe had the, the peak in their career, although Herm's All-Australian and Schofield was a really solid contributor this year. So we're still dead in the window. That, that's that's a big positive. And maybe um, maybe it takes a season where you don't win the premiership to, uh, to sort of reinvigorate the hunger for the players. When we go back to Geelong, they never went back-to-back, but they – they won three flags in five years with a, a gap in between. So maybe we can we can get that hunger back. I like, I think particularly player-wise, I like the, the the look of Rotham and Watson. I think they're, they're probably two guys that I hope to take the next step next season. Um, and that sort of ties in with, with maybe Hearn and Schofield getting near the end of their career. I think we've got replacements waiting in the wings. So that, that, that gives me optimism and the, the guys we talked around before is the, the positives for the year. They're really young. Alan, Ryan, Petricelli, Cameron, these are really raw talents. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're only going get, to get get better next year. 
Yeah, spot on. I think the list profile is an interesting one. We've obviously uh, just said farewell to Chris Marston, and we've acknowledged that Josh Kennedy is probably going to be phased out or certainly not going to be the linchpin of our attacking uh, structures going forward, we wouldn't have thought. So that eliminates or, or phases out two of the over 30s. Hearn, you've touched on, still playing at a very high level, albeit with a little bit of a slowdown towards the end of the season in general. Um, but the list profile is still absolutely primed to be at its best in its window. The side that faced Geelong, 13 of the 22 have played more than 150 games. So super experienced squad, uh, albeit not an aging or not an old squad. You know, they're all still in that prime of their career. So uh, the list profile is absolutely spot on. And uh, fingers crossed that as long as they keep playing good footy, you know, they should be primed to continue to compete. The other thing, uh, for me, a, a little reason for optimism, Nat Nui. Now, we touched on how good he was at the start of the podcast, and obviously he has been the X factor and, and really the last Hail Mary prayer for the grand final tilt this year. Everybody was desperate for Nat Nui to come back to see what he'd bring. Now, by my count, this is his first healthy preseason since 2016, or certainly since the end of the 2015 season, I suppose. We had him last year for a great deal of the time, and he did play round one, but that was a question mark. You know, in the 2018 build-up to round one, we didn't know that we'd have him straight away. There was still a, a managed program or a different program for Nat Nui. Whereas he's finished the season now, he's come off this ankle injury, touch wood, the knees are still holding up decently well. So he should be able to be as much of a full guy as he will ever be in this 2020 off-season. And KK, what do you think that can do for the group, being able to build around that right from word go rather than trying to, you know, we'll, we'll organise 10 weeks of footy, we'll play, then we'll get Nick Nat back and we'll go from there. You know, how, how different is that going to be starting the season from round one? I mean, in terms of Natanui, I think it's, yeah, it, it'd be nice to have him for a whole season. As you say, it is his first proper injury-free pre-season for a number of years. And I think, I think I'd like to maybe see him a bit, bit trimmer Come come round one, though that's always mm. difficult for a, a guy of his size, and all his injuries have been leg related, so it's just difficult to to maintain that at physical base. So I'd like to see a, a big preseason from him. Uh, cross fingers for no injuries. The the hunger and enthusiasm for him is just it, it's there for everyone to see. And we said it so many times, he gives us such a boost, gives everyone in the, the team a boost. And we, we saw in the limited amount we got out of him this season just how how damaging he was. I mean, if he stays fit for a full season and drops a couple of kilos, then, wow, that, that, that that's adding a, a couple of wins onto our total in the absence of anything else. Absolutely. Now, before we get on to perhaps a few reasons for concern in 2020, we touched on it a little bit earlier, and like I said, we will do a trade and free agency pod, but Tim Kelly, as of right now, midway through September, still a couple of weeks until all of this stuff really kicks into gear, what's your gut feel on the Tim Kelly move? Does he come west, and indeed, does he come to West Coast? I think he does, but it, it, we're going to pay a, a pretty price for him, and I, I think Brand is going to end up being a part of that Wow, person. okay. So what yeah. sort of price? Yeah, yeah big footy exclusive. I think our first rounder and, and brander, and or our first and second rounder. I'd, I'd actually be happy with either of those. I think it. I think that he's going to come, and I think it'll be our first and Sydney's second. Obviously, you know, being the I think it's thirteen and twenty two yeah, as of yeah. today, without priority picks and trades and et cetera, et cetera. Um, if it were our first and Brander, I'd feel very suspect about that. And we'll get onto that in just a second when we talk about some players to watch next year. But the thing that we all keep circling back to is the fact that the club took Brander over Kelly 
you know, a year ago, really. Now, obviously, things change. We just talked about how Patrick Dangerfield was ignored by nine clubs who would all be kicking themselves now. So I understand that things do change. But in, in such a short period of time, our assessment of Brander was that he was the best option. Uh, and indeed, our assessment of Oscar Allen was that he was a better option. So I think there'd be a reason for that. And I think that the club would be reluctant to to send him to the Cats. But if, if you told me we're getting Tim Kelly for our first and Sydney second, sign me all the way up for sure. Oh, yeah, I, it's my preference too. I did mean first two picks that it's Sydney second, not our own. Yeah, yeah. 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 So 13 and 22 or whatever. And, yeah, I, I hope it's done. I don't like trading players out, particularly guys at the start of their career. You could see that coming to smack us in the face for 10 years. And the, we're, with our list the way it is in the window we're in, if we have to burn some picks to get a guy of Kelly's class in, then, yeah, absolutely, sign me up. Uh, but Geelong look like they're going to be assholes about it. That's not like that. Um, yeah, I know. It's it's, it's crazy. I, I really don't think Fremantle are, are players in this. I think Geelong will try and work that angle to, to get to play us off against each other, but I'm not sure Freo are really going to play ball with that. I guess it depends what their new, new coach wants. I think they're in their own space at the moment. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Obviously, if you were to read the Fremantle board, they'd probably be suggesting that they get involved to drive the price up for us. But uh, there's every chance that they end up with picks five and six, which would obviously be a great haul for Geelong. Tim Kelly, a great player. I just don't know how well Tim Kelly and Fremantle mix with where they're at and where he's at age-wise. He's not you know, he's, he's not an 18-year-old. He's not a 20-year-old is the point. He's obviously a little bit more mature than that. And I don't know if they were to lose Brad Hill and replace him for Tim Kelly and apart from that, stay about the same. They get into the eight, maybe. They get into the bottom end of the eight. But we just talked about how that's not really anything. So, uh, yeah, I'm not expecting Fremantle to be big players in it either, touch wood. Now, we'll move away from the list management side of things and we'll return back to our broader view of 2020. Next season, there's got to be a couple of question marks given how our season ended this year. So, KK, what's a couple of reasons for concern from you? Yeah, I think it's almost as the reverse of what, what we said. It's the midfield depth. It's it's where are the next generation of, of Yo's and, and Shuey's coming from. Are they on our list? I, I don't know. We probably haven't seen too much evidence of that at the moment. The Rioli thing is obviously a big concern hanging over our head and hopefully whatever the outcome of that is, it, it's all done and dusted before the start of the season and everyone knows where we're at. And, yeah, I'm not too down on it. I think there's a lot of cause for optimism and I think the things that held us back and knocked us down this year are, are all fixable. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish. I love it. You love to hear it. Look, while we are talking concerns and, and you're raising the midfield there, it is a good point. I think that the main thing is that the depth is thin, which is fine provided you're healthy and the Eagles were abundantly healthy this year throughout the midfield. Uh, you go through the squad, Shuey played 24 of a possible 24 games. Yo played 23, Redden 23, Sheed 24, Gaff played all 22 that he was available for. Obviously, he missed a couple at the front end with the suspension. So the Eagles had remarkable injury luck this year throughout the middle. You Very rare that you'd get that in a season. It's very rare you'd get that across two seasons consecutively. So given that the depth is perhaps looking pretty suspect, uh, it's reasonable to assume it'll be a little bit more tested next year. So how we deal with that is maybe something that I'm a little bit worried about as we move into next year. The other thing is more of a philosophical question. It's one for which I don't actually think there is a definitive yes or no answer, but it's something to factor in or consider. So 
every couple of years you see football change and teams emulate the premiers quite often. You know, a new style will come into play and that'll have success for a while. Then somebody will come up with a counter and so on and so forth. It's the natural evolution of elite sport. KK, my concern is... We saw Richmond have a great deal of success. We saw the Bulldogs as well with this rolling, fast play on handball over the top style. Then the Eagles reverted back to the Hawthorne style and brought that one back in vogue. A couple of teams emulated that, uh, although when you look at the teams that are still in contention this year, the Final Four, really Collingwood is the only one that tries a kick-mark game. So has our premier game style, that high-possession kick-mark, keep-the-ball-away-from-the-opposition style, has that maybe been found out a little bit? Uh, I don't think it's... It's been found out. I think that the stats are skewed because Richmond are so good at playing their style of game. You said it a while back that we're their kryptonite and probably vice versa. It's mm. in, it would have been a great grand final with two fit squads playing so different styles. So it's something football is never solved. And I don't think our game style is, is dead in the water. I think we certainly need to get some better options for moving the ball through the middle as opposed to just kicking it down the line. Like we did, that was say that was the common feature of all our losses was just an inability to, to move the ball and to generate any kind of chain of possessions. We were just you know, constantly uh, fighting for those, what was it, what's the post-clearance contested ball yeah, situation? Something like and that. That stat that we just sucked at, and it, it was evident in the game, in, in, in the games that – we were, we were pretty good in clearances all year round. The ones that, that killed us were when there was, um, say, a long kick, ball came to ground. We just always seemed to be either outnumbered or even if we weren't, we'd just lose it. And we were then relying on, on turnovers and catching teams the other way. And I don't think that's – turnovers are a huge part of modern footy, but you've got to have another way of winning that's just not relying on the other team giving you the ball. So here, just while we're talking about the game style, this is – David King obviously loves his stats and throws out all of these, uh, I suppose, advanced stats, you'd call them, or sort of more analytical approach than your routine kicks, marks, etc. Uh, 17th for contested possession differential, 18th for, here we go, post-clearance ground ball differential. Uh, and the game against Geelong, it was the second worst post-clearance ground ball differential ever recorded in a final. Now, that's probably been recorded for about five years, but the point stands, you know, obviously that is something where we will need to improve or if if we're only going to play to our strengths, they've got to get a hell of a lot stronger. Otherwise, we're going to need to, you know, pick up some of our weaknesses and, and improve those to a suitable level. All right, KK, one last thing, looking forward to 2020. We touched on a couple of reasons for optimism, but let's talk specifics. Is there one player or perhaps a handful of players that you are very, very keen to watch how their 2020 unfolds? Yeah, I'm going to... Might not be an obvious one. I did mention him before. Josh Rotham. I, I liked the look of his game. I think he's he served a real apprenticeship in the waffle. He he looks like he's a class above every time he plays there. From from what I hear, and he, he looked not out of place in the occasions when he played in the AFL this year. And in each case, he was called in in pretty less than ideal circumstances, mm. either replacing a very good player and often at, at short notice. So I, I'm looking. To him to be a more um, to have a, have a breakout season next year. Very good. Uh, I'm going to cheat a bit because it's my podcast. I make the rules. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to name two players. Number one, Bailey Williams. I really liked his close to the waffle season. 
I think he's dynamic as a forward, but more accurately or more importantly, he's very interesting as a ruck partner to Nick Natanui. Uh, not the biggest bodied ruck, so maybe philosophically they might want to pair Nick Nat with another big, you know, wear you down, tie you out style ruckman. But if they want to just go Nick Nat, pair you with an athlete, and let's just jump over them all day. Love Bailey Williams. I love his leap. I don't think it's unrealistic to expect him to go past a Tom Hickey in the preseason. Um, if you told me that he played in round one next year, I, it wouldn't be the biggest shock that I've heard all day. So Bailey Williams, one to watch. The other one, and I think this is one that will be echoed by pretty much every Eagles fan, and that is Jared Brander. We just touched on him a minute ago. Here I am sitting talking about how reluctant I am to include him in a Tim Kelly trade package. Now, if we get to the end of next season and he's only played another one or two games, he's only brought his tally up to, let's say, five or six and Kennedy's phased out, but we haven't really seen Brander in as a forward. Marston's phased out, but we haven't really seen him bring in, you know, brought in as a winger. He's threatening to sort of just get a bit lost and obviously was perceived to be a very strong, very raw talent coming in, uh, you know, a really good option as an 18-year-old. But if he gets to the end of year three without making much of an impact, I think that's, you know, we're starting to get a few red flags creeping in. So 2020, a very important year for Jared Brander. All right, that will do it from us this week. We have one last question before we wrap things up entirely. Uh, thanks very much to 06 Premiers, who's been funneling through loads of questions this week. KK, football's over. There's a giant void in our life now. What, what do we do with our weekends now? What are, you, what are you planning on filling the next, I don't know, six-odd months with? Like, there's, there's nothing. This has been it, and now it's just done, taken away from us. So where to from here? I tell you, in many ways, it's almost a relief. I don't know if you listen to the Junk Time podcast, but Michael Chamberlain said like in 2016, he's a Hawthorne fan. And when they got bundled out early in 2016, he's like, it's almost a relief because the stress of knowing you're going for a premiership every season, every game matters. Round one, you're like, oh, shit, how many losses can we afford to have? And, yeah, I've felt this season's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, so I'm actually sort of looking forward to just chilling out for a bit. Yeah, and just watch rest of footy. I'm a bit like you. I've got other sports to watch. Um so Southampton had a good start in the, the Premier League. We got a big derby coming up during our next week against the, the skates. There's college football's just started. There's many ways to to fill a weekend. We haven't even got to the cricket yet. So I'll, I'll be fine. And it will probably do all of our health uh, a good turn to stay away from big footy for a, a while. I'll get sucked into it just because I want to follow the trade and draft and not because I know anything, just because I'm keen to see who we who we get, but then that'll really be be shut down. Yeah, there's something, you touched on it up top there, there is something very, I mean, it's not frustrating, but it, it changes the goalposts when you're good. When you know you're good, it is a very different experience to when you're surprisingly good. You know, 2011, 2015, 2018, incredibly fun seasons. 2019, I mean, on the balance of play, maybe the best, maybe the footy wasn't as good, but 2019, by all accounts, is as successful a season as you can reasonably expect. Now, maybe we exited the finals one week too early or two weeks too early, whatever. But realistically, coming into a season where you're one game off top spot, you should have had a lot of fun. But God, when you're good, the bar is just set so high. Um, maybe it'll do us good to have a little bit of time away in the off season and a bit of a reset. Yeah, KK, like you identified, I've got a lot of sports as well. Uh, I am going to fill the void of being disappointed by the Eagles. 
and I'm going to replace that by being disappointed by Leeds, who have failed spectacularly to be promoted in a number of different ways over the last 15-odd years. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, is my NFL team, never won a Super Bowl. Two years ago, they had a 28-3 lead. It was the biggest lead in a Super Bowl by a team that did not win because they choked. So don't worry about me, folks. I'll have plenty of disappointing sport to fill my football offseason. As I said, that will do it from us this week. Thanks very much for listening all throughout the year. Hopefully it wasn't the podcast's curse that has cost the Eagles this year because we will be back in a few weeks for a couple of uh, trade and free agency chats. We will hopefully be back next year as well, but... As I said, thanks very much for listening. It's been a lot of fun to do the pod. KK, thanks very much for coming on this week and indeed all throughout the year. It's been great chatting Eagles with you. Uh, no problem. Uh, thanks for hosting. I really look forward to the, <clears throat> the the draft and free agent pods. I'd be useless to have on them, so I'm uh, happy to hand that over to the experts, but I'll be a very keen listener and um, back in earnest next season if I'm still wanted. Absolutely still wanted. You'll be... Uh... You'll be 1A on the list, that's for sure. Look, like you just touched on there, myself as well, bloody useless in uh, in the draft stuff specifically. Trades, I might be able to have a few opinions, but drafts, I'm going to leave that one to the experts as well. So I'll uh, maybe facilitate, but you will be getting some good, knowledgeable insight in the next couple of weeks about where the Eagles list goes from here. Thanks very much for sharing the season with us, guys. Uh, your reviews and your questions, your ratings, all of your participation, it's really appreciated. And uh, KK, like you said, yeah, look, it's, it's always fun to uh, to do the pod. It's fun to see how people react to it as well. So thanks very much to everybody for listening, and we will see you very, very soon. Bye now. Bye now. Bye now.